Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Jaiva Narotamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Jayamudiraye We are a couple of days away from Janmashtami, and so I'm going to read this morning from one of the famous prayers spoken by the demigods, when Lord Krishna was in the womb of his mother, the demigods came to offer their respects to the supreme truth. And this prayer today begins with satyam, you are the truth. And it repeats that several times. And it's important for us as we go into Janmashtami to know what it is we're celebrating, who it is we're celebrating, why we're celebrating Krishna's birth. We say it's not an avirbhav either, it's janmashtami. It's a birth because Krishna appears in this world as a normal child. That's his desire and it facilitates his loving exchanges with the devotees. So, we call it Janmashtami. But is it a normal child? In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Janma karma chame divyam evam yo vetitattvata tyakva deham punarjanma naitimam etisorjuna. And that is that, you got it? And that is that if you know in truth, tattvata, about my birth, and he says karma, it means is lila. Krishna has no karma. Uh, he takes away your karma. Karmani nirdahati kintucha bhakti bhajana. When he says karma, it means this activities, which means transcendental activities, which means lila, his own pleasure pastimes. Janma karma chame divyam. If you understand how these are transcendental, then takva deham punarjanma. In fact, even if you understand them in this lifetime, then uh, not only won't you take another birth in this world, but you'll be liberated in this life by understanding Krishna. Therefore, it's extremely important. And we also have various ceremonies and we are guided by Rupa Goswami in the principle of Niyamagraha that one should know why one's worshipping in a certain way. Of course, one could by cultural momentum show up 
for Janmashtami, and that's kind of sweet. We see thousands of people come here on Janmashtami, and they just want to see Krishna. From the time they were babies, their parents took them and they said, Jai Jai, Jai Jai. <laughs> and they put their head on the ground so many times that they go, Jai Jai, and they go, boom. <laughs> and then when they're 16 years old, they go like, why am I doing this? They can't stop, but they still wonder why they're doing it. And so it's important, says Rupa Goswami, to understand what is it. Otherwise, Nimagraha means that I'm just doing it. I'm not sure why. This is the lowest position of devotion. There's a way in which somebody is compelled to come see the deity in the temple. They're not exactly sure of the tattva behind why they're coming. They also don't see how Krishna is connected to everything else. They see him in the temple, but then elsewhere their dealings may be less than savory because they haven't imbibed the qualities of Vaishnavas and so forth. So this is the beginning stage of devotional service, the Kanishta Adhikari stage. However, as one gets a clarity on tattva, the categories of truth, tattva means those categories of the absolute truth. And are there categories? Yes, vedanti tattva, tattva vidas, tattvam yajjhanam vayam, brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdite. If I realize Brahman, I've realized the absolute truth, but only partially. If I realize Paramatma, I've also realized an aspect of the absolute truth, but it's still impartial. Or it's still, it is still not complete. But when I realize Bhagavan, Krishna, the personality, who takes birth in this world and has his pastimes with his parents and his friends and his girlfriends and his boyfriends and his servants, then I've realized the, the truth in whole. So <clears throat> there are various aspects in the philosophy we hear in the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita about understanding the world and the cause of it. Starting from Krishna's statement in the Bhagavad Gita where he says, Aham sarvasya pravavo matak sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajante imam buddha bhava samanvita. Who can say what that means? Aham sarvasya pravavo. Who can say where it's from? Besides, I just said in the Bhagavad Gita. Like where in the Bhagavad Gita? 10 8. 10 8 in the Bhagavad Gita. I am the source of all material. No. Spiritual, mature worlds, everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. Thank you very much, Sri Madhava Mahotava. Haribo. One suggestion, if you ever clap for anybody, really lean into it. Otherwise, it's like peep, 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 peep. Okay. So, aham sarvasya pravavo matak sarvam pavartadeh. Somebody explain a little bit uh, your realization of this verse before we go into it a little more. You've seen it before. It's part of the Chatur Shloki in the Bhagavad Gita. There are four very important verses, nutshell verses, starting with this one. So what, what does it mean besides the translation? What does it mean to you? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Okay. That was intense. Since since I signed up for the uh, translation, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll report. So, Krishna is the source of everything, and um, because he's the source of everything, that means he's the source of us as well, and so he's the most important thing in one's life and uh, devotional services is the process of recognizing that he is um, uh, making the, the mo most of one's human life. Thank you very much. Okay, he wants to clap. Go ahead, start it. <laughs> Yes? Sugeshri. I just wanted to comment, Prabhu. Uh, when I heard first this, this particular that Krishna is the supreme and all everything emanates from him, and then in Bhagavatam, we, when, we, when I read that actually Garbhudakashaya Vishnu lies down and there is a stem, and in the stem we, we live. So this was all theoretical, and one day I was just driving by and I was just thinking, wow, I'm actually inside the stem of uh, Garbhodakashai. I mean, it, it was, um, I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt that oh, we are so tiny, tiny people, so many people driving on the freeway, but nobody knows where you are. <laughs> and then how fortunate we are that we know we are actually in one Brahmanda where there are millions and billions of Brahmandas and we are in one particular, you know, in this big Bhumandala, we are in one small little Jambudvipa, uh, small little Bharatakanda. So I was just realizing that how tiny I am <laughs> and still I'm trying to tell that Krishna, I want to be you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a kind of relief when we find out that we're not the supreme controller, that there is a supreme controller who's all benevolent. And th there's a sense in this verse is that one who finds out the truth about Krishna, or I should say who understands that he's the source of everything, all energies, and the cause of everything, that, then such persons serve him. So let's just talk a little bit about it, what it means to be the cause of all causes, because it's important. As explained in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, especially in the chapter about Lord Baladev, there's a discussion of the various causes of creation. So one of the causes of creation is the ingredient cause. The ingredient cause means that if you're going to build something, you have to have the ingredients for it, right? But if you are going to build a house, Kitapriya, and you get all the ingredients together, then what happens when you just leave them on a lot somewhere? Do they manifest a house? They don't? Let the record show that Gita Priya has <laughs> given the correct answer. <laughs> I notice in my neighborhood where a lot of people are building houses or reconstructing their previous houses that it requires a lot of people working together, hammering for months, sometimes a year, to put, the, put together a house. So that uh, cause is called the efficient cause. Efficient cause means that somebody actually has to pick up the hammer and nail and put it together. It doesn't happen by itself. Oddly, 
many people claim that the universe has ingredient cause but no efficient cause. It just sort of happened by itself, randomly. There's no um, hands, no manual labor behind putting it together, so to speak. Manual means you put your hands on it, somebody puts their hands on it and puts it together. And then there are other causes, as mentioned by Aristotle, as you probably know, he talked about a formal cause. Formal cause means if you're building a house, Gita Priya, do you decide how to build it as you go along? You get the ingredients and you just build it? What do you do before that? You have to plan it out. Very good. You have to have an architect come and say, this is what it should look like. You get a blueprint. And once the plan is there, the form is made on a subtle level. That's the formal cause, because you're making a form. And then he talks, does Aristotle, about a prime cause. And he calls it the prime cause. There's a prime cause behind everything, and that means the person who thought it up in the first place, who has a purpose behind it. So there are these four causes behind any manifestation. Just the ingredients won't do it, and just the hands working on it won't do it, just the plan itself, but there's a purpose behind it, and there's an intention, and that's the prime cause. So in the verse, aham sarvasya pravavo, mataksarvam pravartite, Somebody who knows that I'm the prime cause behind everything then worships me. But let's talk a little more about that because Krishna has uh, unique features and someone might then have a doubt, mightn't they, about a person being the supreme cause or the prime cause of everything. Mightn't somebody have a doubt? Possible? Yeah, people have doubts all the time. And of course, there are various ways in theology to come about, to, to come to a siddhanta or a decision about the absolute truth. And one of them is called natural theology, and the other is called revealed theology. So in natural theology, there's a way of speculating to try to understand the absolute truth. However, the problem with that is that because of my limited perspective, if I speculate about the absolute truth, the furthest I can go is to Brahman and maybe Paramatma. I can intuit through my intellect that there's a, a kind of uh, relief from the churnings of the material world that could be spiritual. Some people speculate and then they come to the conclusion that God means nothingness because the material world full of variety is troublesome and temporary. All the variety here melts and enters back into a neutral state and it gets remanifest, it becomes unmanifest then manifest again. And therefore, somebody might say, well, beyond that, there must be a void. There are various philosophers who come up with theories about the supreme. Some say the nyayas, 
the Vaisheshikas, the um, the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali, they all have various theories about the Absolute Truth. And so there's a way, why am I called Vaisheshika? I know you're thinking that. There's several answers. One answer is, what do I care? Probably gave me a name. If you're a dog and somebody comes like, so your name's Sparky, then the dog's like, hey, at least I have a master. The other is that it's the name of Krishna because it means comes from the root word vishesha, which means specific or special. That everything in, in Krishna's creation is special. It doesn't necessarily mean the Vaisheshik philosophy, but if it did, I hope to serve them by giving them Prabhupada's books so that they can understand correctly. Now that we've let the elephant out of the room. <laughs> and on all these various philosophies called darshans in India, there are various speculations about the absolute truth. That some say that, yes, uh, there is someone who <clears throat> is the mover of everything, but he's separate from the ingredients. There's the ingredients and there's the absolute truth. They have nothing to do with one another. They're, they're independent of, of one another. And there are uh, varieties of speculations in natural theology. However, Mahajano Yenikatasapanta, the only way to come to a perfect conclusion, ultimately, is to accept a perfect authority and take the version from the perfect authority. Otherwise, no matter how smart you are, there's always somebody smarter. Have you ever noticed that? No matter how good you are at something, somebody else walks in and ruins your whole thing. It's like, wow, I was a big fish in a small pond, and now I've been exposed as being <laughs> just a little fish because somebody else is much smarter than me. And that always happens. Therefore, you may come up with a philosophy, or I may come up with a philosophy, but then someone else will defeat it later and find some aspect of it that doesn't work as well as their philosophy. And therefore, we have to accept the version of the absolute truth coming from the absolute truth himself. And this is a reasonable because in any knowledge system, one has to have a point of reference a given, for instance, in, in uh, what's that called? In math, where you draw all kinds of shapes? Geometry. Yes, geometry. I was thinking geology. I couldn't get it out of my head. In geometry, you start with a given before you solve it, don't you? Who said that's a given? Somebody, some authority somewhere said, here's your given. Like, prove that's a given. <laughs> okay, prove that given is that what... What, the, the reason you gave it for the given is a given, and you can keep going backwards to infinity, called infinite regress. So at some point, you have to have some knowledge that proves itself. It comes from a perfect source. So Krishna is saying, aham sarvasya prabhavo matak sarvam pravartate. However, someone might then say, but wait a minute, if you're the complete whole, as we hear in the Upanishads, Om Purnam Adah Purnamidam, 
describing the complete whole, then you look like a person. I mean, you have fingers and toes, and those are differences. Because the truth, as we heard earlier, is known as Advaya Gyan Tattva. It's one, but it has variety. Actually, they're not differences, they're varieties. And within uh, Krishna's body, do you see any differences? Do you? Practically, if you just look at him and you show a picture to somebody and say, here's the absolute truth is one, what might they argue? Well, he has different parts of his body, so how can that be the complete whole? Because there, there are differences, different compartments and so forth. But if we were to describe Krishna's body as being complete, and without any differences, where from Lord Brahma's teachings that we just sang could we prove through Shastra that he's not fraught with differences, but his body is one truth? I'll give you a clue that should give it away that he has senses, and there are different senses in his body. Like we have working senses and knowledge gathering senses, don't we? So what verse would prove that all his senses are not different? Boy, I really gave it away there. Go ahead, try. Is it, uh, is it the verse Angani Asya Sakalendriya Vitivanti Jivanti Okay, everyone together. Anyani sakalendriya pritivanti pashyanti panti kalayanti chiranjaganti ananda chinmaya sadujvala vigrahasya govinda mari purusham tamaham bhajami. So, what does that prove about so, uh, the different so called differences? It says that. Um, one, one sense of the Lord can perform the function of the other. So, for example, Krishna can create through his eyes, just by the glance, and uh, you know, he can accept the offering. So, um, so, to your point that, you know, the sen the, they are different, the bodily parts are different, but then they can... Use the mic, can't hear. No, you don't have to take it off, but you can go ahead, just put, point it right towards your mouth, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah, so uh, they can perform the function, uh, function of the other part. Yes. Yeah. All his limbs can do everything that all the other limbs do. There's no difference between in one and another. Like in my body, my hand can't eat. But in Krishna's body, his hand can eat. Or he can talk through his eyes. Has he ever talked through his eyes to your knowledge? Who said yes? <laughs> Say when he talked through his eyes. You heard it one time when you were reading Krishna book or the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam. Where, where did Krishna speak through his eyes to his friends? It was during the, one of the forest fires that happened. Krishna spoke through his eyes. So you'll find that there are various ways Krishna uses his senses. Well, he can eat with his ears, right? 
When does he do that? When? Come on, stand up for your answers now. <laughs> Go ahead, Prabhu, and then Sukeshri. Bhoga prayers? What? Is that a question or answer? No, it's an answer. <laughs> Just give the answer. So when we chant bhoga prayers, we are actually asking the Lord to accept. And he's yeah, accepting so our devotion. Then what happens? He eats with his? His eyes, his glands. His ears. Yeah, he listens to it. And he's like, okay, he can eat with his ears. That's what it means. Angani yasya sekalendriya vritti manti. Pashanti panti kalyanti jiram jigati. What else? Prabhu, I was just going to say that sometimes we also talk with our eyes. <laughs> we you? may not talk, oh. but you can do a lot with your eyes. Okay, we can. It's indicative, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're talking with our eyes. So this is one of the one of the characteristics of the supreme truth that, or of the personality of Godhead that people try to find fault with the understanding that God is a person, and it's called swajat bed. Bade means there's a difference in the personality himself because he has different limbs, different organs, and so forth. But Brahma tells us, and I mentioned there's natural theology and there's revealed theology, which means, as I was saying, we hear from an authority. So Brahma's the authority. He saw Krishna directly, and therefore he spoke about it and revealed to us what his body is like. There's no difference in his body. It's, it's one because every sense can do the activity of the other sense. And the next fault someone might find is, wait a minute, okay, you say God is one, but what about all these different forms of God? Could you name one that looks different than Krishna in Vrindavan, Armadan Mohan playing on a flute, which which other Matsya is a, is a, is a, a good choice? <laughs> what, what does Matsya look like? A fish? Doesn't exactly look like Govinda, right? How many others can you think of? Huh? Who? What would you say? Ten. <laughs> okay, ten. Go ahead. Hayagriva, how, how does Hayagriva look like? Krishna and Vrindavan? A horse, okay. How, how many, what other ones can you think of? Varaha looks like a pig, okay. So is that Krishna and Vrindavan? We're finding some difference in the Advaya Gyantatva. You're saying it's one thing, Krishna's one. So how is it that he's one? How many others? Nishringadev, and who else? Kurma, Parusharam, Vaman. Okay, so there are various forms of the Lord, and we hear about them in various places. You say, okay, well, there's a difference there then, isn't there? But who can prove from our same source, Brahma, and the same Shastra, we all just chanted together, that there's no difference between these. Yes? Judges, will we take that?
Brava, brava. There's a couple more, though. Let's take out a couple more. Uh, from Brahma Samhita. There's, remember, we're talking about a Dvaya Gyan Tattva. A Dvaitam. I'm sorry, I almost gave it away. I actually I did, but you know, go ahead, Prabhu. Advaitam Achutamanadim Ananta Rupam Adyam Purana Purusham Navayovanam Chavede Shudurlabhamadurlabhamatma Bhakto Govinda Madi Purusham Tamaham Bhajami. So how does that help us in under, in overcoming this other fault that people will find and say, Your God's not one. If you have a personal God, how can he be one? Because he's got all these different man of, you know, how can, it's a pig. And, you know, here's God in Vrindavan. So how is it different? Uh, or how is it Advaitam? How is it the same? So what's Brahma saying? So Brahma is saying that they are one without a second and Krishna is the original source. Uh, Anadim, Anantarupam, he has many, many forms. Adyam Purana Purusham Navino Yovanamcha. He, he's the original person, and from him these forms emanate. But it, he cannot be understood by, uh, from the Vedas, Vedeshu Durlabha. Yes, but the point here is that all those forms are non-different from Krishna, and they're within Krishna. So Krishna, as is mentioned in the Chaitanya Charamrita, manifests all these forms from his personal body, but they're non-different from him. They're the same as Krishna himself. They just appear to be different externally. But there's no difference whatsoever. Advaitam, achutam, anadim, anantarum. They're advaitam. So when Krishna plays with his friends in Vrindavan, there's a, there's a pond that he likes to swim in. It's right near the Nishringadev temple at the very tip of Govardhan Hill. And according to the Govardhan guidebook, when Krishna plays with his friends there, he likes to amuse them by showing his different avatars. It's like, show us the pig again. <laughs> Let's see the turtle, Krishna. So they're all transcendental uh, forms that are non-different from Krishna. And wherever Krishna goes, all of those manifestations come with him. He's manifesting them, and they're non-different from him. But what about his other associates in the spiritual world? Like, there's Srimati Radharani. Surely we've found some dualism here. Because there's Radha, and then there's, I want just Advaita, no difference. But you guys, you put two personalities on your main altar. And you say, we're worshiping Hare Krishna. Not Om, one thing, but two things, two entities. So who can prove from Brahma Samhita that that's not dualism. Brahma Sanghita. Start with Srimati Radharani. How, is, how does Brahma explain to us that there's no difference? One way to memorize the whole Brahma Samhita, at least the way I did it, was that, um, that I'd been chanting it every day and I was going through Singapore, and I met this other brahmachari, and uh, we were chanting it together in the morning times. And then he gave me his 
handwritten copy. He had written it by hand. A lot of that stuff in the old days because there weren't so many copies available of things. And I got on that plane and I was looking at it. I saw these little codes written on the side. And they were the first letter of every verse. So the first verse is Chintamani, Prakarasatma. So he had C, A, A, A. And then he had P, E, Y, A, P, pay up. And then throughout, in clusters, he had throughout the whole thing. And then he said, ah, now I know what, I can understand what that is. Of course, it took me a while because I'm a little slow. But once I understood those little clusters, then I could keep it in my mind and understand the sequence of the book. So the verse we're looking for is in the second cluster. <laughs> yes. Oh, is it um, Ananda Chinmaya Sat? No, no, don't say is it. You go, pow, and you just put it out there. They're like, this is it. And if you're wrong, you say, prove I'm wrong, you know. Come on, go ahead. Ananda Chinmaya Sat Pratipavitavit Tabeya Eva Nijarupataya Kalabi Goloka Eva Nivasatya Kiratma Bhuto Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami. Brava, brava. All right. Tell us in your own words how that proves the point. Um, so the translation says that Radharani resembles um, Krishna's own spiritual figure and is the embodiment of his ecstatic potency. So when we worship Radha and Krishna, we're technically still worshiping Krishna. Just Radharani is another embodiment of his potency. Very good. So it's not separate. This verse proves that Radharani is not separate from Krishna. It's an expansion of Krishna's energy, Shakti and Shaktiman. The possessor of the energy and the energy are non-different. So... That uh, we can accommodate, and that verse also indicates that all of the expansions of Srimati Radharani are naturally also part of Krishna. So Krishna expands himself into Srimati Radharani. Who does Srimati Radharani expand herself into through her potencies? What's the next expansions from Srimati Radharani? You know how Krishna expands himself. What's his first expansion? This is Vaibhava Prakash. He's uh, identical to him, only a little different because he's white. And he also has a mood, an abhiman, of wanting to serve Krishna. Not, I'm the supreme controller. He's saying, I'm a servant of the supreme controller. So when Srimati Radharani expands herself, what, what, what are her expansions? It's in the verse. Yes, go ahead. Let's just say it. No, just say in your own words, what are the first expansions? Who? Who else is there with Krishna and Radharani in the spiritual the, world? Are they all the alone? The gopis? The is that an answer or a question? That it's an answer. Sound gopis, like a the, 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 the queens of Dwaraka and Lakshmi. And then, then who? Who after that? 
and then Mahamaya. So you can appreciate the presence of the Supreme Lord everywhere, even if you're in Maya, because Mahamaya expands ultimately from Srimati Radharani. So all the female expansions, like the gopis, and then the queens in Dwarka, and then you have Krishna's wives, and excuse me, you have Krishna's wives, the queens of Dwarka, you have the uh, Lakshmis in Vaikuntha, and then you have Mahamaya. And her her uh, presence here in the material world, all coming from the original source of Srimati Radharani, but she's part of Krishna, non-different, coming from his energy, Shakti Shakti Man. So we've proved that, but we have a higher hurdle to cross now. What about the living entities? How can we prove from the Bhagavad Gita, perhaps? The living entities, I mean, I'm here walking around, I'm not God, and I seem to be independent, and, a, and just, you know, a random living entity somewhere. How is it that the living entities can be shown to be one or a, a dvayagyantatva, part of that non-dual supreme truth? Verse from Bhagavad Gita, please. Yes, Prabhu. One, two. Okay, go ahead. I was thinking about Mamai Vamsho Jiva Loke, Jiva Lupa, Sanatana, Jiva Bhuta Sanatana, Mama Sashtani Indiani, Prakriti Sani Karshati. So, uh, living entity is the fragmental part and parcel of Krishna. So, what's the word in there that shows that there's no difference between Krishna and. Amsha. Uh, Amsha means? Uh, frag- part. It's a part, right? So, it's, it's not anything separate. So. That still meets our criterion of being Advaita one, right? Did we succeed? And what about from the Bhagavad Gita? Prabhu, you can say, you had your hand up, that uh, how about the material energy? We see all these material energies working, Maya's working in some way. Where in the Bhagavad Gita does Krishna mention that all the energies that seem to be working separate from God actually are under his control. Okay, yes. Devi Segunamai Mama Maya Duratea Mam Eva Prapadente Mayam Etam Tarantite. That's pretty good. Judges, do we accept that? Okay. Explain why you gave that verse. How does that prove the point? Uh, so that verse says that all energies, material and spiritual, are coming um, from Krishna, and one who takes shelter of Krishna is able to cross over the material. Okay, energy. very good. Let's hear another one. Yes, Prabhu Sindhu. Oh, yes. Go ahead, Krishna. Means? So far, um, there are eight, um, eight um, separated energies, Bhumi, um, Earth, Water, Fire, Air, and Ether. And uh, above all is also, um, um, this Krishna says there are these are his eight energies. And then above that energy also he has uh, 
spiritual energy like that yeah okay good who are the living entities right and how how is this material creation connected to krishna the way it's moving where does he say in the bhagavad gita this whole material manifestation the material energy well, yeah, the Okay, she's agreeing with you. She heard the first syllable. Go ahead, Prabhu. Maya Dakshina Prakriti, Suyate Chara Chara Charam, Hitanani Nakantaya, Jagat Vipriyartate. Means? So, Krishna, Lord Krishna says that uh, the material world is working under his direction and uh, it is created and dissolved according to his will. Very good, very good. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So the, the points we're making, based on Krishna's own statement, aham sarvasya pravavo matak sarvam pravartate iti matava bhajanti imam buddhabhavasamadhi. Those who are Buddha, they're highly intelligent, like all of you, have discerned just within a short amount of time what other philosophers have taken centuries, lifetimes, and they have not come to this conclusion, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Bahunam Jamanamante Gyanavan Mam Prapadyate Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatma Sadulava. Someone may take many, many, many lifetimes to come to the conclusion that, oh, Vasudev Sarvamiti, he's everything. Everything comes from him, but it's not sentimental. There's a a revealed philosophy behind it. How it is, Advaya Gyantattva has various features that are not differences, they're, merely, they're varieties. But why should there be varieties anyway, Kitapriya? What's the point of having varieties in the absolute truth? And why should Krishna, the supreme person, take the trouble to appear, not appear, to be actually be born out of the womb of Yashoda, and he is born from the womb of Yashoda. We find out from the Bhagavatam and, its, and our Acharya commentators that Krishna is born not just from Devaki. He's not really born from Devaki. He appears from Devaki because he comes out with ornaments four hands, all the paraphernalia. Meanwhile, somewhere else in Gokula, Krishna is born just like an ordinary child. So why is it that Krishna takes the trouble as the absolute truth to be born? This is part of the clue. To be born in Gokul. <laughs> Um, Mataji said, but <laughs> to... Uh, That's um, parampara. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, it's to enjoy, um, like, the pleasure and, like, the pastimes of being, I guess, like, a child in Vrindavan. Very, very good, but I need Sanskrit. Someone better give some Sanskrit. Yes, Sada Vrindavan, all the way in the back. We need to relay a microphone. I was thinking, I was thinking of Paritranaya Sadhuna Vinashaya Chadushkritam Dharma Samstar Panartaya Sambhavan Yogege, which basically means that he comes to um, annihilate the miscreants 
annihilate the demons who are um, disturbing the, his devotees and also enjoy um, the pastimes with his devotees. Yes, very good. He has those purposes. Hari Bol. But on a very basic philosophical level, come to a more foundational point about why the Supreme Advaya Gyantatva has differences. What is the purpose of that? Actually, you already said it in English, but we want reference from Sanskrit. Maharaj, can I say in Bengali, there is a verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Adi Lila 7.5. Yes, please. Panchatatva ekavastu nahi kuch bheda. So basically the Lord, uh, there is no difference between the different forms of the Lord in Tattva, but because of Rasa Aswadite, because of enjoying the propensity of enjoying the different Rasa. For Rasa. Yes. Tabu Vividha Vibheda. So that is why the differences are there. Which Very is good. And what's the very famous verse from the Taittiriya Upanishad that explain, explains the same principle? Rasovaisaha. The Supreme Absolute Truth exists for rasa, to enjoy exchange. So unless you have at least two, there's no possibility of rasa. You have to have two. Therefore, because he's the Supreme Enjoyer, he expands himself into unlimited forms and varieties. So he has unlimited forms, Advaitam, Achutam, Anadim, Anantarupam, forms of himself he enjoys in different ways. He also has Asankhya, living entities who expand from him, infinitesimal servants who enjoy by serving Krishna, and Krishna lives to please the devotees. The devotees live to please Krishna, and Krishna lives to please the devotees. And there's this constant exchange of rasa between the two. I have a question, Prabhu. So if a Mayavadi philosopher is listening to this, he'll say, yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. We become God. How do we refute that, Prabhu? Become what? I mean, with the, the, the thing that we just read, it yeah. said that um, um, there is no difference. In, there is no spiritual difference between Krishna and is it only his incarnations or his parts? I, I didn't get that trouble. No so difference between Krishna and anything. That's why it's a dvaya jnan tattva. So Krishna then, is one. The absolute truth is one truth. So? So no, I was just thinking that, um, did it mean that even the parts are also... Um, They're same and not same at the same time. Simultaneously one and different. This is called achintya beda beda tattva. And the sun has energies. You can't say that the energies are different from the sun, because what would the sun be without its energies? But you also can't say that the sun rays are the sun itself, otherwise the devotees in the back row there would be toast, because there's sun rays coming through right now. Eka desha stitasya gnir joshna vistaraniyata Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave this verse to explain this point to Sanatan Goswami. And it's from the Vishnu Purana, which says, just as the sun is in one place, but it diffuses its energies everywhere, 
throughout the whole universe. In a similar way, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is one, but his energies are all expansive. And they're manifest in different varieties, but why? What's the purpose behind the creation? Remember, we had to have a prime cause, ultimately, to prove the whole uh, point of creation. And there has to be a, a prime cause, ultimately. And that prime cause is Krishna. But what's his purpose? The purpose behind the creation is? One word, two syllables. Rasa. To enjoy rasa. Doesn't that make you happy? It makes you happy because now you know the purpose of life. It's to enjoy. Does that make you happy? <laughs> but it's the how to enjoy is the point. We enjoy when we love Krishna. Because Krishna loves us and we're part of Krishna. And we have an eternal constitutional position as uh, servants of Krishna to please his senses. And when we please his senses, we become ten times more pleased. A thousand times, a million times, ten million times pleased. Um, Hare Krishna Maharaj, I have a question. So every living entity has like a rasa uh, or relationship with Krishna. And then there are also like agama vidis by which we do like deity worship or any kind of service to Krishna. So which takes precedence? Sometimes because of the rasa that we have, um, some like we like we need we we might be uh, we we need not be like following the agama vidis in terms of deity worship or even like offering um, bhoga. But then which takes how does Krishna perceive it? Is it the rasa or is it should we be strict about following the agama vidis or does rasa or our bhava take more precedence? Well, because the agama vidis come from Krishna. He says that when you follow the Agamavitis, then you're respecting me, you're worshiping me. Someone might say, meh, you know, I'll just do my own thing and I'm spontaneous. But Krishna says, uh, by following the Agamavitis, you're worshiping me because they're my rules. I put them out there. And therefore, if you follow them, then you're showing your love. There is a way in which... Um, the devotees in Vrindavan don't follow so many Agamavitis because they're already fully absorbed in love for Krishna. There's no rules necessary when there's love. Where there's rules, there's no love. And when there's love, there's no need for rules. It's like if you're living with somebody in, the, in a room, a roommate in college, let's say, in a dorm. And the person starts doing things that uh, really annoy you. You have to write on the wall, like no going to bed after 1 a.m. with a stereo out loud and no cooking with onion and garlic because it stinks up the whole place. Whatever it might be, you make, make the rules. But when you're one in purpose and there's a sense of love, these rules don't need to be written. They're actually understood. Those who are one in purpose have actually become one through their loving exchange and their understanding of one another. So the Agamavidis are important because there's a way that by following them we overcome the natural proclivities that our senses have after associating with three modes of material nature through many lifetimes. 
they have a mind of their own. And they go after the darndest things. Don't they? Senses get attracted. It's like, why are you interested in that? So I don't know, I just am. Some other lifetime, I was uh, a different kind of creature. And, you know, if you look at other creatures and how they're attracted to all kinds of gross base things, all those some scars are there within the mind of a living entity who's been churning through the process of birth and death in the various species of life. And we come out as a human beings like, why am I acting like an animal? It's because you still have animal programming in your mind. No offense against animals. But there are base activities. So the Agamavidis protect us from that. It's like, don't step on Krishna's stuff. Dog doesn't think about that. Dog comes and pees on everything, including on Tulsi. That's why Prabhupada said, they're rascal number one. <laughs> but the Agamavidis say, you know, be careful. When you touch Krishna's paraphernalia, touch it with your right hand. Don't touch the deity. Like, these are all these vidis. And then from that, actually, we start going, well, he's, he's actually a sensitive person and so forth. And then naturally, there's a way in which the devotees deal with Krishna in a loving way. And, of course, when, when that's there, it's a different kind of relationship. But it can begin with these kind of uh, rules that help us to stay within the uh, boundaries of etiquette, the way you, you treat an honorable person. Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, I have a question. So um, the source of creation, like the cause is Krishna, as you said. But like, um, can we extend that logic and like ask the same question? Why, why there's a need to have Krishna and like for Krishna to have rasa and creation after that? What do you mean a need? Uh, why, why is Krishna there? Like... Um, why why do we need to have a creation and like going back uh, using the logic like rasa krishna wants rasa and that's why we have creation and all the living entities but then asking why krishna is there and what is the need for krishna to have rasa like kind of this is the question puzzles me and um, brings me here uh, these are axioms. And so in logic, if you start saying, well, why isn't uh, the round shape square? It has no meaning. Round means round. You can't say round means square. If, you say, if I say a, a circle is a square, then anybody in any kind of um, learned circle will look at you and go like, would you please leave? because you're not making any sense. Maybe you took too much LSD as a child. So the idea of a, a, a circle becoming a square, a square becoming a circle, is untenable in the realm of philosophy. In every tenable philosophy, there, there are axiomatic truths that such and such that prove themselves, and we take that uh, as proof. Now, you can see within yourself you're a part of Krishna, and you have a tendency to enjoy, do you not? 
Nobody can deny that. You can look at the symptoms of those who are expansions of Krishna and see that they have the same qualities, just as Krishna says. You can test it for yourself. Say, what is my purpose in life as a part and parcel of Krishna? Do you get up and pray in the morning? Please let my car get wrecked today. And please let the insurance have lapsed the day before I got wrecked. And please, could my student loan be expanded more than it is now? so I can work for another 30 years without making any money, and on and on. No, we, we want to enjoy. We want to actually uh, experience love and so forth, and we're parts of Krishna. We can understand intuitively also about rasa. So when we talk about the need of Krishna, Krishna exists for himself and by himself. And he's the supreme enjoyer and the supreme absolute truth. And he's the cause of all causes. This is the axiomatic truth. And to have intelligence behind, to, to, to one can perceive intelligence behind all of the interactions of the elements that expand from Krishna as well. That's why we have science. For instance, all the ologies come from the concept of everything having a uh, purpose in design. If there wasn't some formal cause, which when we talk about somebody who's creating a blueprint, that's part of the causal sequence. If we didn't have a formal cause, then you wouldn't have to study anything. All your science classes would be canceled. Because logos, which is there, as mentioned in the Bible, in the, I'm not a big Bible scholar, but in the beginning, there's the logos. The logos means there's an intelligence that is the formal cause that creates a blueprint for everything. That's why you can study it, because there are logical ways in which the elements interact with one another. In physics, you can say, um, I don't know anything about physics, but if I did, I'd say something like, <laughs> you know, speed plus mass equals something else. And you come up with a formula and it works because there's logos. There's a formal cause behind everything. You could understand that. And there's no ultimate locomotion within material nature by itself. These things have been tested in physics. If you put a train on a track and you set it out, without having it a battery or somebody to keep pushing it around, eventually it's going to wind down and it's going to stop. So in the material nature also, we can trace back the, f the laws of physics and see that they don't work independently of a prime cause, a mover who's making it all happen. There has to be somebody behind it. It's extremely logical. And there, there was, there has been in history, um, a break between science and theology. They got divorced at one point, and it was a messy divorce, and it hasn't worked out well for either. Because as Prabhupada used to say, that if you have science without religion, you just have mental speculation. And if you have religion without science, you just have sentimentality. Both have to be there. So we have both. But you have to, we have to know what are, what are the limitations of logic also. Because ultimately, 
we can understand that there's a supreme by very simple means by saying, I had a father. Did my father have a father? I never met him, but I know I had a, a grandfather. His nickname was Christopher Columbus because he crossed the ocean so many times. I just found that out recently. And my grandfather had a grandfather. There were so many. Uh, if you keep going back and back, then you're going to come to a father who has no origin. That's Krishna. That's the axiomatic point that, where we start. And uh, it's untenable also to say the material nature is the cause of everything because it doesn't sustain itself. The physical laws are not able to sustain um, their momentum without having a prime mover behind them. So there is a prime mover. And then, of course, many people will say, yeah, but why do you have to call him Krishna and he plays a flute? Don't they say that? Okay, very well and fine, but I have my own God. Has anybody told you that? I have my own religion. So Prabhupada's answer to that repeatedly was, okay, show us. Where is he? Where's your God? Show us. And it's like, well, you can't really describe him. It's like, no, no, don't cop out. Show us. We'll say Govinda. He plays a flute. He's in Vrindavan. He bewildered Brahma. He has pastimes. He has Srimati Radharani. We know the address. We know the details. You tell us now. Where's your God? Well, it's beyond words. Get out of here. You're not discussing. If it's beyond words, then don't say anything. We'll talk. You listen. So when you come to describing the absolute truth, then you say, why is so specific? It's because that may be limiting, but it's not limiting, actually. It's limiting to say that God can't have form. It's also limiting to say that God can't have variety within his personality. He has unlimited personality expressed through his various relationships with unlimited living entities. If I come in here and I start to express myself, but all I have is a very limited vocabulary, which would be consist of, of different pitches of grunts. A grunt means like, Ugh. So you ask me a question. Another question. So this is, uh, this has less variety than if you ask me the question, what was the question again? My name is Vaisheshikadas. Now I'm using uh, more variety, more detail. It's become more unlimited. If I come in here to play the violin and I just go screech, scrunch, and that's all I can play, then it's limited. But if I've studied it and I have memorized many different uh, ragas and I play it, then it starts to expand and become more unlimited. So in Krishna's rasa, there are every gopi, Every one of his expansions as a gopi has a, a raga. All the ragas that we hear from our very own Govinda, because he publishes them all on the internet now. You've probably noticed that. Every one of them comes, the, the ragas, original ragas, come from a gopi. 
who is expressing herself to Krishna in a particular way through music. And how many gopis are there? Unlimited. Trillions. Beyond that. So the variety doesn't limit God. One's idea that God's an amorphous energy or homogeneously one is limiting. But as you become more detailed, more specific, vishesha, the more unlimited the entity becomes, the more unlimited this situation becomes. The more expert the musician, the more the variety becomes available. And the more variety is there, there's an indication of intelligence and expansion. So the, the, so God's uh, a, a person who exists for himself, <clears throat> by himself, for himself, and his purpose is rasa, to enjoy uh, loving relationships with his devotees. Is that helpful? Yes, thank you, Prabhu. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, let's see if there's any more questions or comments. I, yes, Kitapriya. Um, personally, um, when you said that sometimes people wonder why um, Krishna is so specific and why we get so many like expansions and incarnations and pictures, and I personally find that if I have a visual representation of what Krishna can do, and since I know Krishna is unlimited and he can do basically anything, and being given examples and being given examples, because I would have never imagined Krishna turning into a horse or like a boar or like anything like that. But like give, be, being given examples just shows how how much Krishna can do, and I can't even fathom what more he can do. So if I find like I find it personally very comforting and kind of cool that Krishna can do so much. Nice, nice. Yes, the getting the information about Krishna is part of understanding the tattva and discussing the ways that Krishna's unlimited. And then there's an aspect of Krishna that's achintya because his energies are so unlimited that we, we can't fathom them. And if we could, he wouldn't be God because God means unlimited. Advaitam achutam anadim ananta rupam. He's ananta. But if there's some way that I can circumscribe God and describe him in a, f a f formula, then he's not God because he's not unlimited. Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Uh, I have a question. In the beginning of lecture, you mentioned uh, some people just come out of, uh, because they know to come to temple uh, and they don't know why they are doing what they are doing. And when I think uh, I'm chanting, I'm coming to temple, I'm doing service, and I'm rejecting some stuff uh, which is not favorable to bhakti, uh, but I don't have purpose. I'm just doing, I'm doing it, but I don't know why. And so how to find out the truth and the reason why I'm doing it? Just read Prabhupada's books. You can read Chaitanya Charitamrita, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, 
and nectar devotion. And if you get a PhD in those four books, then you'll know why you're doing it. Because it's, it's explained all in there. But there's no dearth. Can you look up the word, please? Of philosophy. There is a science behind it. And we're, we're meant to discuss it. Siddhanta Bolayachita Nakara Alash, Iha Hoiti Krishna Lagi Sudrid Manush means that we won't have a strong mind until we discuss thoroughly threadbare these points about Krishna and why we're doing these things. So it's ongoing. That's why every day we have class. It's not that once a year or something like that. But every day, at least once a day, better all day long, or at least five hours a day to have classes. In fact, when I joined the Hare Krishna movement, we had five classes a day, especially in the Bhakta program. It was, it was meted out throughout the day. We'd go in Harinam and we'd stop, sit in the park, because, okay, time for Krishna book. And we'd have that class, and then time for Nectar Devotion. Now Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavatam in the morning, TLC and the other times. So we have to hear and discuss these points. Of course, those who come to the temple and they bow down before Krishna are great souls. Krishna talks about this in the Bhagavad Gita. Chaturavida bhajante mam jana sukritino arjuna arto jignasa artarti jnani cha bharatarshava tesham jnani nitya yukta eka bhaktir vishishite priyohi jnani no tyartam ahamsacha mama priyaha he says that there are four kinds of people that come to him. Uh, they want money. They want to get relief from distress. They're inquisitive and some already a knowledge of the absolute truth. And he says all of these people are great souls. They're pious, pious souls. Sukriti. Otherwise they wouldn't come to Krishna. And he said, of all of them, the best is the one who knows the absolute truth and is giving his or her heart out of love. So we have to become a wise and we have to know the siddhanta by reading and, and hearing in the association of devotees why we're worshiping Krishna. And there's a way in which by worshiping Krishna in the association of devotees, we gain a, a natural impetus. It, as the old idiom says, rubs off on us. There's a way that the, um, Rupa Goswami describes in the Nectar Devotion that from the hearts of those whose bhajan or worship of Krishna is very deep, there are like a moon rays that are coming out. And so when one gets touched by the moon, moon rays, you know, some that you look and you go, you swoon. He's like, oh. I feel something. The moon is for love. You don't find so much people writing poetry about the sun. It's like, oh, the moon, and it rose, and you know, <laughs> and so from the, from the moon rays that come from the hearts of pure devotees, then we also become affected and we feel the purpose. It, it kind of becomes naturally manifest. And even when we don't know exactly everything about what we're doing by continuing it then as Krishna said or as Sutta Goswami says in the Bhagavatam first canto second chapter Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janya Yashuvaira Gyam Yanam Chaya Haitukam we naturally 
become filled up with knowledge and a sense of perspective of the world through which we back off from all kinds of bad things because we know um, there's something better. We get a taste. Hope that helped. Okay, we'll take one or two more. Yes, Prabhu, one, two. Oh, you just have your pencil up, sorry. Hare Krishna Prabhu. I really like the point uh, which you mentioned. Uh, actually, uh, I, uh, I was thinking that how important uh, is this point that Mahajano Yena Gatasa Pantha. You mentioned that you have to hear the version of absolute truth from the absolute truth it's himself. And how will you otherwise understand? Um, where can the logic take you? So I was thinking that, you know, uh, even in the scriptures we see that uh, many times, for example, uh, in Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna, Arjuna says that, you know, oh, um, you know, now I understood it. Asita Devala Vyasa has understood it. And then in the morning you quoted this verse, So we follow the path of those who have already done it. And there are so many other verses in which, uh, you know, um, it's, it's, it's mentioned. So how important it is to, to follow this path. So That's a, a, an excellent point. Thank you for bringing it back up. There's a way in which the devotees have something even Krishna doesn't have. What is that thing? Kali, Kali Kunja Kumari. If that's really you, I can't tell. If my smartphone can't tell who I am, I, I don't know if I could tell through face recognition anymore. Um, they have the love of Krishna on them, like to them. So that Yeah, very nice. Because they have the, the internal potency of Krishna, which is actually, it's what Krishna is attracted to is his own swarup shakti in the form of Srimati Radharani. And devotional service is under the protection of Srimati Radharani. When you quoted this verse, Daivihi Eshugunamayi, this Daivihi Eshugunamayi, so the, the, the internal potency that the Mahatmas, Mahatmanas to Mamparta, Daivim Prakritim, this is from the internal potency of Krishna and who can say why or how it is or the proof that Krishna is controlled by and attracted to his internal potency. Yes. By the way, we're going to stop in just a couple of minutes. Losing I have a question, here. What? You had a question? So, the, did you, were you going to say the verse? Well, I'm thinking of one verse. What is it? The verse I'm thinking of right now that proves the point. If Srivatsa was here, he'd say it. question is, could you please, pretty please, give me a Sanskrit verse, preferably from the Bhagavatam, so that's what I'm thinking of, that proves how it is that Krishna's internal potency is attractive to him, not only is it attractive to him, but it can, he can be conquered by that internal potency. 
Yes, Prabhu. <laughs> Krishna says in uh, to Uddhava in eleventh canto, na sadhyati maam yogo, na sankhyam dharma Uddhava, na swadhyayas tapastyago yatha bhaktir mamorchita. So he says that, my dear Uddhava, the unalloyed devotional service rendered to me by my devotees brings me under their control. I cannot be thus controlled by those engaged in mystic yoga, sankhya philosophy, pious work, Vedic study, austerity, or renunciation. Bravo. Sadhu, sadhu. But if anybody knows more, please say more. One more verse. I'll give you a clue. It's Hare Krishna. Yes, pl please go ahead. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Is that Vaikuntha Naika? Oh, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Please go ahead. From Mayapur. I just Coming remember from the Mayapur. Hare Krishna. I just remember a couple of words in the verse, but um, maybe um, you can correct me. It ends with um, Ajito Jita, meaning the unconquerable becomes conquerable. Um, like that's, a, that's correct. Um, that's what I was thinking. That's why I said Srivatsa would, would have said it, because he quotes that verse a lot. So how does the verse start? Jnani prayasa eva Jivanti san mukaditam bhavadi avartam stane stita shutikatam tanavan manobir ye prayaso jita jito pyasi traistrilokyam Krishna's name is Ajita. It means nobody can conquer him. But this verse says Krishna's jita. He's conquered by somebody who hears about him from the Srimad Bhagavatam worships the Bhagavatam, uh, and then develops this love for Krishna. Because of that, he's able to conquer Krishna. As is mentioned in the uh, Bhagavatam, also by Karabhajana Muni, he describes uh, Krishna's pastimes in one verse, where he says, Tyaktva sadusya jasarepsita raja lakshvim dharmishta aryavachasa yadagararanyam mayam ragam dayita yipsitam anvadavad Vande Mahapurushate Charanada Vindam. So this is about Krishna, Ramachandra, and Lord Chaitanya. But he says that Krishna becomes like a toy doll in the hands of the residents of Vrindavan. So when when the residents decide they have to move because you know Putana showed up, then Trinavarta, Shakatashura, not in that order, but they they came and Krishna killed them all. They thought, this is a really dangerous place. Let's move to Gokula. How did they go? What was their transportation? Uber? Huh? Bullet carts, yeah. What did they do with the carts when they got there? There was no houses, no housing project there. They put it in a semicircle. And what did they carry with them, the, the, the men who were protecting the wagons on the way? What weapon? bow and arrows. So anyway, they got there to Gokula. Why did I say that? 
I got distracted by the bows and arrows. What was I about to say? <laughs> oh yes, on the way there, it's described how the uh, the elderly gopis were so enchanted with Krishna that we're singing his glories and clapping and having him and he and Balaram dance. And they say, if you dance a little more, we'll give you half a sweet meat. <laughs> so here's the supreme absolute truth, the one who creates all the heaven and earth, everything manifests from him. And they're like, you want another sweet? We'll give you a half if you dance. And Krishna's like, God, oh, Krishna. <laughs> because he loves the residents of Vrindavan so much. And he, he's, he never sleeps. In Vrindavan, it looks like he sleeps, but his mother puts him to bed and he sneaks out the window. If you've ever done that as a kid, Krishna does it every night. Because he can't stay away from his devotees. He loves them so much. So he's constantly engaged in rasa, with his devotees uh, 24 hours a day. And he's controlled by the love of his devotees. Ajita becomes, Ajita becomes Jitta. Okay, so that brings us to the conclusion, which is that we're performing the Janmashtami, which is a, in a very important part. It's mentioned in the 64 Angas of Bhakti, in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. One of them is celebrating festivals like Janmashtami. So everything that we're all doing here, going out of our way to clean the temple, to the decorate everything, as all, the, all of you are doing, just it's amazing what you're doing to transform. And putting on a huge festival all day long, fasting, just chanting, uh, no other concern. This is the way to celebrate the Janmashtami, and it's one of the Angas of Bhakti. So feel free to give your whole heart and soul to the process of Jan, worshiping Krishna and Janmashtami on his birthday because it's, it's a direct bhakti process. And we're not doing it mindlessly either, are we? Because we completely understand now through the philosophy given to us by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through the parampara why it is that we worship Krishna. Aham sarvasya pravavo Hare Krishna. So, um, were there any uh, last questions online? Because I didn't want to leave those out in case they were. Just checking? Nothing. Okay. So, now we're going to take a, a, a three minute break and we'll come back and have the Guru Puja for Srila Prabhupada. Vajakalpadurvishta Kripasindabe Vachapatitanam Pavani Bio Vaishnavi Bio Namunamaha Nantakoti Vaishnaviniki Jai Gorpremanande Haribo. His Grace Vaisheshika Prabhuki Jai. Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Gorpindiki Jai. 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 Jai.